this series called uh, An Awakening uh, or Awakening. You know, and it's about uh, the five awakenings that can help us to find our way back to God. And over the last three weeks, we've looked at the awakening to longing, and we've looked at the awakening to regret, and then regret, and then last week, uh, Chad looked at that um, awakening to need. Uh, and as we've done that, we've spent time unpacking a really cool parable that's found in Luke chapter 15. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up to Luke chapter 15, because we'll be getting there pretty soon. So Luke chapter 15, who, knows, who can tell me what the, what the story is? What, what's, what's the famous parable that we've been looking and unpacking? What's it called? Good. Parable of the prodigal son. And we've been able to learn a lot of things, I think, not only about this son, but then about our own lives as well. At least that's been my prayer. That's been my hope. In fact, my prayer through this series is that we will get an awake, we will get awakened out of the sleep that we often find ourselves in and that that awakening will lead us back home to the Father. Now, here's the thing. Finding your way back to God is not only a life-changing moment, but it's also a lifelong process. And I think that's the part sometimes we forget. Because I think there are times when we have that awakening, we, we, we have that urging, we, we have that spirit that, that really in, infuses us, injects us with, with this passion to change and to do and to come back to God. And so we get real excited in the moment, forgetting that it's a process, that it's a lifelong process. And if you forget that, you will get discouraged because... You will fall, and you will stumble, and you will sometimes go back a little bit. And so if you were not prepared for that, it can really do a lot of damage to you. So it's a lifelong process. You see, sometimes even after we come home, we forget that we, uh, we forget who we are in God. And we begin to allow sin and shame and what we've done to rob us of our joy, and most importantly, of our true identity. As children of God. That's why this fourth awakening, that this awakening to love that we are going to look at today is so important because I believe it holds the key to unlocking our joy and unlocking that true identity of who we are in Christ. I read this story about how many of, how many of you have ever been on a cruise? Raise your hand high if you've been on a cruise. Cool, man. How many want to take Lucy and I on one? Raise your hand. <laughs> Lucy and I, uh, we've been on a cruise. Uh, years ago, back in, um, I think, uh, right about uh, 2000, nine, 99, two, uh, about 2000, I think it was. It was the summer between uh, Brandon's, was just graduating, and Kyle was going to be a senior. And Lucy's folks took us on. Uh, they told the boys they'd take them anywhere they wanted to go. Bad mistake, you know, on their part. <laughs> anywhere they wanted to go for the graduation present, but they wanted to do it the same year because my father-in-law was already starting to have problems with his Parkinson's and so they wanted to do it all together so my my kids being uh, boys after my own heart decided they wanted to go on a Mediterranean cruise yeah <laughs> man that was awesome man let me tell you it was awesome <laughs> now at first we Lucy and I weren't going it was just uh, grandparents were taking their grandsons until they realized they're going to be on a boat with two high school boys <laughs> probably not a good thing so then they took us and for, it was a 14-day cruise, started in Barcelona, ended in Istanbul. And let me tell you, it was awesome. So if you've ever been on a cruise, they're, they're amazing, aren't they? Well, I read about Jim and uh, a guy by the name of Jim and his wife, Lori, and they were on a luxury cruise 
And it was just going down to the Bahamas, but it was through his company. He was, happened to be the top producer that year in the company. And so him and his wife, along with a lot of the executives from the company and, and their wives, went on this cruise. Now, the last day, as they came into port and docked, they, they came in very early, and so they weren't up yet. And so just before they were getting ready to wake up, you know, and get started with heading out for the day, there was this literally this bang, 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 bang on the door, and it just startled them. And since Lori was the closest to the door, she just went and kind of cracked it open just a little to see who in the world. That, you know, that really hurt. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, uh, that that kind of, I got to remember that next service. Or use the other hand. Um, so she cracks it open just a little to see who's on the other side, and that's all they needed. And they barged in. It was six, um, let me get this right here, six drug enforcement agents, all wearing bulletproof vests and pointing semi-automatic weapons at the husband who was sitting on the bed in his underwear. And they simply said, don't move, sir. You are under arrest. Turns out the agents had warrants for his arrest in six states. The offense was dealing cocaine. Now, as he tried to make sense of what was happening, after all, they were just waking up, his first thoughts were about how to straighten this whole mess out. But then the hallway outside Jim and Lloyd's room began to fill up with the executives from his company. And they're all watching Jim get arrested. And they're wondering, maybe Jim wasn't the guy we thought he was. Now, put yourself in their position. You're in a deep sleep, and you're coming home after a relaxing cruise. You're wakened by feds, pounding on your cabin door, making false accusations in front of your wife and your coworkers and your boss. I mean, how would you feel if you had been Jim? You see, what Jim discovered later was that he was the victim of identity theft. Someone had acquired his Social Security uh, number and several of his credit card numbers, and this same someone was engaged in very illegal activities. And it literally took several hours for them to get things straightened out. So Jim wasn't arrested that day. And then it took a few weeks of difficult conversations with his boss and co-workers to make sure they understood the whole story. And along the way, he spent thousands of dollars in attorney fees just to get his name cleared. He found out how unsettling and how costly it can be to lose your identity. Now, I say that for this. Because, unfortunately, identity theft is becoming a common occurrence in our world. But what about our spiritual identity? What about our spiritual identity, who we are in Jesus? I mean, can that be stolen from us as well? You know, as I said in a message about a month ago, the world and our enemy are constantly telling us that we don't measure up. I mean, our enemy is constantly convincing us that we have no worth and no value. I mean, Satan is a master at getting us to focus on what we've done and uh, who we've been instead of who we are in, in Christ. And by doing that, we allow the guilt and the shame of the past to not only rob us of our joy, but, but most importantly, it robs us of our true identity. It robs us of our spiritual identity as children of God. And for some reason, we let it happen. 
It seems that we would rather believe our enemy instead of believing the one who died to not only show us how much we're worth, how much value we have to him, but who died to give us back our true spiritual identity as children of God. Now, as we think about the parable of the prodigal son that's found again in Luke chapter 15, that's exactly the place where we find the son. For the last four weeks, we've been unpacking this parable. And when we last left the son last week, he had just returned home. If you remember what Chad talked about last week, his father had run out to greet him. He hugged him. He showered him with kisses. Now, you would think that he would be feeling better about his decision to come home. But instead, he allowed the choices of the last year to rob him of his true identity as a son. Now, this is what I find interesting. Scholars have discovered a similar story that existed among Jewish rabbis. And this was a story that was around years before Jesus ever told this parable. And then the earlier version, like this version, the son runs away. The son spends all of his father's money. But in this version, when he comes home, the, uh, he, the father rejects him. The father says, no way, you're not coming home, man. So as Jesus was telling this story, I can imagine that the Pharisees and the tax collectors were expecting the father in this story to basically say the same thing. I think they were, they were thinking, hey, Jesus is telling this story that we're familiar with. I think they were wanting Jesus to say, man, I don't care if you have come crawling back home to me. You had your chance. You chose to live like a pig, now go live with him. I think that's what they were expecting to hear from, from Jesus because in that earlier version, the father turned his son away and told him he was getting exactly what he deserved. But to their surprise, Jesus gives a different ending. So in this ending, this is what we hear. Look at verse 20 again. We'll go back to last week to verse 20. It says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Then it says, he was filled with compassion, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The Greek, the Greek verb here indicates that he kept on kissing him. In other words, he literally smothered him with kisses. Here's the thing. The father loved his son just the way he was. I don't want you to ever forget that. The father loves the son just the way he was. I mean, when he got to him, he didn't say, Good night, boy. What in the world is that awful smell? You need to go get a bath, and then we'll do some talking. I mean, that's not what he said. You see, he loved his son just the way he was. So instead of saying that, he hugged him, he kissed him, he accepted him, he forgave him. In spite of the way he looked, in spite of the way he smelled, the father looked past what he had become to see him for what he truly was, which was this, a child of God. That's who he was. He was a child of God. He was a son. It reminds me, reminds me of the words of, of Paul in Romans chapter 4. 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And we've talked about that. How God didn't say, man, John, clean your act up, man, because there's a lot of stuff that you just need to get it straight before I'll love you, before I'll accept you, before I'll forgive you. He doesn't say that. He doesn't come to Trey or Mike and say, man, get your act cleaned up. He says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the same type of love that is demonstrated here by this father. Now, the son is not much different than we are. He also has trouble accepting the father's unconditional love and forgiveness. In fact, look at how he responds. Let's, let's look at verse 21. This is what it says. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And then look at this. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. I'm no, I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And so even after experiencing the father's mercy and the father's grace and the father's compassion and the father's forgiveness, even after being embraced and bombarded with hugs and kisses, the son's opinion of who he is doesn't catch up with his father's opinion of who he is. He still sees himself as a sinner and his father sees him as a son. Now, maybe you felt that way. Maybe you feel that way right now. I mean, maybe you found the path that leads home and the awakening that has brought you back to the Father, but you're so burdened with guilt and shame that you doubt that God could ever fully forgive or love you. Here's the thing. If you let them, guilt and shame will always cast a dark shadow over you. And you will forget who you are. And you will forget whose you are. And guilt and shame will whisper to you, are you kidding? You don't deserve his love. You don't deserve his grace. And they will keep us from embracing our true identity as a child of God. And if that happens, we have allowed the enemy to rob us of our identity. In Christ. But here's the cool thing. While the son was still hanging his head, insisting that he's not worthy to be a son, look at verse 22, because this is really cool. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Now, when he said that to his son, I can just imagine that the, the son's head is spinning at this moment. I mean, he's thinking, whoa, 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 wait a minute, robe, ring, sandals, well, I mean, what's going on here? Here's the thing, each of these gifts from the father was further proof of his father's love, and each conveyed a very powerful meaning in that culture. In fact, the robe was a symbol of rest. You see, at the father's command, the servants brought the finest, the best robe, and it put it on his son. Now, now think about that, because probably, this is just in my head, this is what I think, I believe that probably the finest robe in the house, guess whose it would have been? It would have been the father's, wouldn't it? 
So he didn't give just any old robe. He didn't give just this extra robe that was hanging in the closet that he used when he paints, you know, or, you know, when, he, when he's working in the garden. It's just not any old robe. He takes the finest robe, his robe, the beautiful robe, and he lovingly, this is, this is so amazing, he lovingly places it around the smelly, dirty body of his repentant son, covering the filth and the shame. Think about that. He takes the finest robe. He takes one of his robes, a beautiful robe. He has it brought out, and he takes it, and he lovingly wraps it around his son, whose body is dirty and filthy and stinky. And he covers that shame, and he covers that filth. I was thinking about that, and it reminded me of the garden. Back in Genesis. And if you remember after Adam and Eve sinned, after they took of the apple and they hid, and God came and they began to have this conversation with God. And when God began to restore them, you, you know what God did? You remember that? God took an innocent animal and killed it, shed its blood, and took its skin and made clothing. For Adam and Eve, God covered their shame. God covered their sin. In fact, we've talked about that before and, and how scholars believe that's, that's a foreshadowing of what Christ was going to do when he shed his blood to cover our sin as well. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. We are covered by God. He covers us and clothes us. Let me ask you, how would it feel to you today to be enveloped, to be wrapped, to be clothed in the heavenly Father's robe? How would that make you feel? I mean, to begin to realize that you don't have to run anymore. To realize that you don't have to prove yourself anymore. You are finally home, and now you can just experience his awesome rest. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Why? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so he was clothed with that robe of the Father. But the second thing he gave him was this. He gave him a ring. And that ring symbolized security. You see, sons often wore family rings that had the family seal engraved upon it, and they would dip it in wax and then put, use that as a stamp. Uh, it was just kind of like a signature. And the son probably had left with a ring. But when the money got tight, he probably sold it to get more money to do what he wanted. And so by putting a new ring on his finger, 
It symbolized his full status within the family, and it sealed his identity as a son, and it gave him the security that he longed for. And then finally, the father gave him sandals. He gave him robes, he gave him a ring, then he gave him sandals. And the sandals were a symbol of acceptance. In ancient Jewish in an ancient Jewish home, the only people who would wear sandals in the house were the homeowners. Slaves and servants went barefoot. And I can imagine after spending the amount of time that this son did in that pigsty, feeding pigs and living with pigs, he probably had lost his sandals a long time ago. They're in that mud somewhere. And I can imagine he came home shoeless, looking more like a servant than a son. And maybe that's the way he felt. Maybe that's why he felt that being the servant was all he deserved. And so when the father gave him sandals for his feet, he was saying, you're not a slave. You're a son. You're not a slave. You're a son. You see, in these gifts, the father was giving him an awakening to love. He was restoring everything the son had lost. And these three gifts told him the truth about his identity. He wasn't a loser. He wasn't a stranger. He wasn't a slave. He wasn't a hired hand. He was a son. He was the son of his father. That was his true identity. But how about us? How about us? I mean, have you had an awakening to love? Where you honestly understand the love of God in your life? His acceptance, his grace, his mercy, his compassion, his forgiveness. Have you had that awakening? You see, when I look at my own life, I realize that I'm a prodigal. And maybe you do as well. And so many times we live under the shadow of guilt and we live under the shadow of shame and we allow the enemy to steal our true identity in Christ. And so we carry around all sorts of regrets, regrets from the past, as well as regret, regrets from this last week. And because of that, we don't feel worthy of God's love. We don't feel worthy to be called a child of God. And so maybe you realize that you've lost your true identity. That's why even after we find our way home, we still need that awakening to love. Because it's here in the love of the Father, that we're able to cast off the shadow of shame and realize that God loves us more than we could ever imagine. I mean, he loves us more than we could ever imagine. And when we awaken to the Father's love, we come to realize our true identity. We are sons and daughter of the creator of all things. We are his kids and he is our dad. Brennan Manning in his book, Alba's Child, put it this way. I love this. He says, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. God's love for you and his choice of you constitute your worth. Accept that and let it become the most important thing in your life. Because that's who you are. That's your true identity. So let me ask you something. Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you realize who you are in Christ? 
Do you understand that you are loved and that you are forgiven and that you are accepted? Do you understand that? Because if you don't, then let me remind you what the Bible says about our true identity. Romans chapter 8 puts it this way, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. What does that say? He's adopted us as his children. We are his kids. Now we call him Abba Father. And we, we've talked about this before. Abba is that Aramaic term that Aramaic kids used for their daddy. And so when they would run up to their dad, they would go, Abba, Abba. It's like saying, Daddy, Daddy. That's the relationship that we have. Why? Because we are children of God. He goes on and he says, For his spirit joins with our spirit to confirm that we are God's children, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 1. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And then I love this line, and we've talked about this. This is what he wanted to do. In other words, it wasn't our idea, but it was his. This is what he wanted to do. And then this part amazes me. And it gave him great pleasure. It gave him great pleasure. In Galatians chapter 3, starting verse 26, it says, You were all baptized into Christ, and so you were all clothed with Christ. There's that robe. This means that you were children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten, and everything is new. When you were spiritually dead because of your sins, and because you were not free from the power of your sinful self, look at this. God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave all our sins. He canceled the debt which listed all the rules we failed to follow. He took away that record with its rules and hid what with it? Nailed it to the cross. Romans chapter 8. Yes, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor, uh, nor ruling spirits, uh, nothing now, nothing in the future, no powers, nothing above us, nothing below us, nor anything else in the whole world will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as you continue your journey back to God, never forget that the world and our enemy will constantly remind you that you don't measure up. They will constantly remind you that you do not measure up, that you have no worth and no value. And when that happens, you have to remind them that you are a child of God. And he loves you more than you will ever know. I love this statement made by Henry a uh, new one in the book, Life of the Beloved. This is what he says. He says, every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the Beloved, from all eternity, and held safe in an everlasting belief. This is what the awakening to God's love looks like in our life.
It's holding on to your true identity in the depth of your being. Regardless of what the world says, regardless of what anybody else says, regardless of what our enemy is trying to uh, infiltrate your heart with, you are a child of God. John put it this way in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that's what we are. We're children of God. Now, I love what happens next in our story. Because after the Father gives the Son the ring and the robe and the sandals, while the Son is still trying to come to grips with what he has done and who he's been compared to what his father is telling him and who he is now because of the father's acceptance and love. The father just says, hey, it's time for a party. It's time for a party. And so the the father begins to, to rejoice in the present because his son is home and he begins to look forward to a life in the future. And this is what it says. Look at verses 23 and 24. And kill the calf we have been fattening. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. And kill the calf that we have been fattening. You know what that tells me? This is just me. may not be true, but this is just me. This is how I see it. It tells me that all along, the father knew and hoped his son was coming home. And so what did he do? They were, he had already started fattening this calf. Fattening this cow. So when the son returned, it would be ready for a feast. That's what it says to me. The father was already looking for, knowing that his son would return and hoping for that return. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Wow. Now. I, there's, so much, there's so much more here. I, I wish we could focus a little bit on the older son because um, that's a story in itself. And I thought about doing that, but the thing I wanted to, to help us to focus on the most today was simply this. Do not let the enemy rob you of your identity. When you come home to God, You are accepted, and you are forgiven. And your past is gone. When you repent and and return, your past is gone. Let me remind you just a moment. These are some things we've talked about in the past, but they are so important to remind us about. Judy, you do not have these, so don't worry about it, because this is something that that I wanted to do right before I walked over here today. This is what God was saying you need to remind people of. And that is simply this. You have to remember what it means when God says, I forgive you. And the reason we have to be reminded that is, is because we don't do a very good job of forgiving others. And so sometimes our definition of forgiveness that the Father has for us is the same definition that we use for others. And they are totally different. You see, when when the Bible says that we are forgiven, let me tell you, there are three things that I'm reminded of. First one is this. It means our sin is out of sight. Our sin is out of sight. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 44, 22, I have swept away your sins like a big cloud. I have removed 
your sins like a cloud that disappears in the air. 1 John 1.9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he can be depended on to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. They're out of sight. They're no longer there. They're gone. They've been swept away. But they're also out of reach. So they're not only out of sight, but they're out of reach. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And we've talked about that. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has taken our, and removed our sins. Micah wrote in Micah 7.19, once again, you will have compassion on us. You will tread our sins beneath your feet. You will throw them into the depths of the ocean. Now, let me tell you. If, they, if my sins are thrown into the depths of the ocean, I have no desire to put on a diving suit and go look for them. Do you? But yet we still do, don't we? You see, they're gone. They've been taken away. And then the last thing is this, our sin is out of memory. It's out of memory. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins. No, no more. Fortunately for us, God's memory is different than ours. I mean, and I mean, we tend to forget the things we should remember and remember the things we should forget. But when we talk about the fact that God will remember our sins no more, I'm not saying that God has a bad memory. The word forget simply means that our sins will no longer be held against us. They can no longer have an effect on our standing with the Father. Why? Because they no longer exist. They've been wiped and washed away by the blood of Jesus. And we've got to remember that. Because when we come and we return home in, in repentance to the Father, we don't have to continue to think we're not worthy to be a son because we are worthy. Because he has forgiven us. A few years ago I shared with you I watched a movie. This has been when I was a youth pastor. We showed a movie. Uh, I can't even tell you. It was one of those Christian films. I can't even tell you now exactly what uh, the title of the movie was. But, but the part that impacted me the most was this. It was about a, a, a young guy who had, um, he was having a dream about his life. He was actually dying. And he was dreaming and he, he went to heaven. And as he was walking around heaven, Peter was showing him around and they were walking down these long halls, and, and almost in every room, it just seemed like there was these huge computers. You got to remember, this was a long time ago. They had huge computers. You know, now it would have been just a cubby on a shelf. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. But, but the huge computers, and they were, there was these just printouts that were coming out all the time, and he just simply said, what, what's all these printouts? He said, those printouts, those are people's sins. He said in the next part of his dream, he was transported from that place to the foot of the cross. And as he was standing at the foot of the cross, he was looking up at Jesus, who was there. And at the bottom of the cross, under the feet of Jesus, was this stack, this pile of computer printouts of every sin he had ever done. And he said as he watched, he watched the blood of Jesus drip from his body onto that printout. And with every drop, 
another word disappeared until finally it was covered by the blood of Christ and all the sin was gone. Gone. That's why God can say, I will remember their sins no more because they're no longer there to affect our standing before our God. In your awakening to love, never forget God loves you more than you'll ever know. And when you come home, he accepts you. He wraps his robe of righteousness around you in spite of the dirtiness, in spite of the filthiness, in spite of the sin that's in your life. He wraps his robe around you and he forgives you. And he brings you in and there's a great celebration in heaven because that which is lost has now been found. That which has gone and ran away has returned home. And there's a celebration that takes place in heaven. And never forget when God forgives, he forgives and your sin is gone. My prayer is that you allow that to impact who you are and impact your life with an awakening to the love of God. Adam's going to come. He's going to play. And we are, we're just going to reflect. Maybe you just need prayer today. Or maybe you need to return home. You need to return back to your father, back to God. Or maybe you're struggling with understanding forgiveness and maybe you just need to come and say, you know what, I just need prayer because I'm allowing the enemy to constantly bombard me with that guilt and the shame. And I know my God has taken it away. And I just need prayer. Whatever's on your heart, I pray that you'll come as Adam plays. Let's reflect.